been wearing my computer glasses lately for playing the music and also in the evening when I'm showing slides. Um, but for reading my notes and looking up at you, I'd rather have my bifocals. Computer glasses have one focal distance and that's it. And my eyes do not adjust anything anymore. So good to see you this morning. Now, it's been many years since I preached on funerals. And I'm not trying to announce that I'm gonna be dead soon, although none of us has a guarantee about when we're gonna die, okay? I've seen even people that were on life support and uh, you thought, man, this guy's gonna be dead within uh, the next hour. I know a very dear friend of mine who was a missionary, the doctor told him he had bone cancer and he was having terrible pain and the doctor said, well, it's not gonna last much longer, uh, maybe a month or two. 10 years later, he finally died, okay? And accomplished more in those last 10 years uh, in serving God than he had in all the years previous to that. So none of us knows the exact date, God knows the date. And he has an appointment for us. It is appointed unto man once to die. So it's a good thing to be prepared at least for an eventuality that is sure to happen. When I say a proper burial, I am speaking of a Jewish or biblical burial. I am talking as a Jew, a Baptist pastor, and a student of the word of God. All of these things that I am going to give you are intertwined so that one thing affects the other things and makes it difficult to put them in order since one thing is simultaneous with another thing. Nonetheless, each of these things are to be equally obeyed in the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would guide us and direct us throughout this study. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in tune with your heart and that we would understand and stand by the scriptures, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Burial is the very last testimony of your faith. It is your last opportunity to evangelize. When Paul speaks of the great men of God from the Old Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, and if you would look that up with me, he does not speak of their great heroic acts, but the great faith they had in a great God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 is where I'll begin. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. I want my faith to speak even after I'm dead. 
by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of, of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Verses 13 and 14. These all died. Yes, every one of these people except for Enoch who was translated died not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Folks, I would suggest that just like we have the testimony of these men that outlive them, that you sit down today if possible, if not, as soon as you can, and write out your testimony. Write it out and name somebody that you want to have it read by. I want so-and-so to read my testimony. Write it out. It is the very last chance that you'll have to evangelize someone who's in need. Now let me go beyond that. The burial. Burial spices in the Bible were placed on the outside of the body to reduce odor. That's all. Nothing was, was done to preserve the body, such as what we call today embalming. Embalming was not done. Why? Surely the Jewish people knew about embalming. After all, they had spent 430 years in Egypt where all these pharaohs were embalmed. So surely they knew how to embalm. Surely they must have had a clue 
as to how to preserve the body, but they don't, and they didn't. And they don't until today. Orthodox and conservative Jews reject having embalming fluid pumped into their veins. Now they do this for biblical reasons, and perhaps you're not familiar with those. So let me go through some of the biblical reasons why the Jewish people and in the Bible, the believers um, in the Bible did not have embalming done to them. Um, the only case where it is mentioned uh, was not the word that we use for embalming today. It just meant that he was buried with spices around him. Again, that was just to reduce the odor um, and to give at least somewhat of a good smell. The Jew believes his Bible when it says that the spirit and soul are viewed as coming down from God and therefore they return to God. Okay? Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Genesis 1, 26 to 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created bara from nothing. He created man in his own image. God is not a man. God is spirit and God is soul. The Bible says God is a spirit. The Bible also says, as my soul liveth, saith the Lord. God is soul and God is spirit, but God is not flesh and bones. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. A man's soul is different than a woman's soul. But both a man and a woman were created in the image of God. You may think it's a great mystery how women think about things. If you're a man, I have heard women make comments about how great a mystery it is to understand what a man thinks about. That's very easy for me. Um, I are one. But um, yeah, I look at that and I go, we may not understand totally. I usually compare that to women are a, an apple and men are a Microsoft uh, computer, okay? So we think about things differently and there's very little communication that goes on between them, okay? Just understand, this is the way that God made us. He created us in his image. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man 
from the dust of the ground, Yatsar, to mold. That was his body. But then it says, and breathed into his nostrils the nephesh, the spirit or the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man received his soul directly from, from God. Therefore, the soul must be returned to God. The Bible says that very clearly in Psalm 31.5, Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. And the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, said that when he said in Luke 23, 46, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Okay, now we have the biblical principle that there's a difference between the spiritual part of man and the body. The spirit and soul of man um, never truly uh, die. They don't disappear. You know, I've, I've said to kids, what happens when you, when you die? Well, you disappear, they tell me. No, you don't disappear. Um, you are still alive. Your spirit and soul are with God. Your body is in the grave awaiting so then why wouldn't we preserve that body if it's just waiting? Ah, okay. The body was made of what? The dust of the earth. And therefore God commands that it should return to the dust of the earth. Genesis 2-7, again, where we just read, uh, says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He was formed from dust. Now that doesn't tell you that he has to return to dust. Ah, but in the next chapter it does. <laughs> Genesis 3-19, In the sweat of thy face, shall thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Yes, God commanded that the body return to dust. Now, let me tell you that more than 3,000 years later, the bodies of these pharaohs that were embalmed are still around. They haven't decomposed to the place where they returned to dust. They're still around. And cadavers of people that have been buried and embalmed years later are still intact. How did the Egyptians actually perform embalming? Well, in the first place, they used embalming fluids. They cut open the cadaver 
and they took out all the internal organs and placed them in embalming fluid. And then they soaked rags in embalming fluid and they filled the cavity so that it wouldn't collapse. Um, then, you have any idea how they took the brain out? Yes. They got a chisel and a hammer and they went up through the nose, the nostrils, and they broke the cranium open. And then they went in with tiny spoons and they removed it piece by piece and then filled the cranium with rags that they had soaked in embalming fluid. They threw the brains out. Apparently, in the resurrection, Egyptians didn't think they needed a brain. Um, the rest of their internal organs were all preserved uh, and are still preserved more than 3,000 years later. They had very good methods of embalming. Now, folks, that's not biblical. Bible says you're going to return to dust, to ground. So because of that, the body was put in contact with the earth. A person was buried in a sepulcher made of stone or in the ground where he was buried, but his body was to be wrapped in linen strips because the linen strips would also decompose, but they covered his nudity. And they held the spices that were on the outside in place to keep the odor down, but not to prevent decay. If buried in the ground, he was to be buried in a wooden casket because the wood would also decompose and allow his body to come in contact with the ground. Where do we read some of the details about that? Well, let me begin in Genesis 23. Genesis 23, verse 19. Genesis 23, 19. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. He buried his wife in a cave. No need for a casket. Because she was not in the earth. She was in a cave and her contact with the earth was with stone. John chapter 11. I know all of you are familiar at least somewhat with the story of Lazarus here. But John chapter 11 has many details that I think sometimes we may overlook. In verse 17, 
Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now, as I read through this, I want you to start to question what two things, what two things did Jesus prove at the resurrection of Lazarus? Two things. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Now, why was there any doubt about that? Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. He's been dead four days. He's already began to decompose. Um, resurrection now has to wait till the resurrection day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. That didn't really answer the question. And when she had so said, she went on her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she, she rose up uh, hastily uh, and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Never mind that he could be, he could be raised. The Jew considered that a person was dead dead when they had been dead three days. This was now four days. Before that, it was a resuscitation not a resurrection. So, for instance, if somebody's only been dead five minutes and you give them artificial respiration and, um, and heart massage and they may come back to life, they weren't dead. Not dead dead. They might have been dead if left for a long time. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. 
You know, that's one of the most puzzling verses to me for those who believe that we ought to be happy at a Christian funeral. Jesus knew he was going to resurrect him in just a couple of minutes, and he still wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died again? They only think of Jesus' power to heal, not of his power to raise the dead. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha and the sister of him that was dead saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. What did it mean, he stinketh? Why would he stink? He was decomposing. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, and they, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot. That means his feet and his hands were tied together with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. Let me just point out the two things quickly. Number one, Jesus has the power of the resurrection. And yes, we might not have known it, but he expected that the dead that he would raise would be decomposed. And decomposition didn't keep him from raising the body of the dead. Amen? There are two things that I learn here about the power of the resurrection. Let me move on. The difference between a proper burial and an improper one. Now, a lot of people have some strange ideas, at least to my way of thinking. I've heard some pastors uh, say, you know, you don't cry at a funeral. You rejoice. It's a celebration of life. Uh, excuse me. Why did Jesus weep? If my Lord wept at a funeral, I suppose that I can too. And they'll say, hold it, but 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says that we're not supposed to weep at a funeral. Well, 
Let's read First, first Thessalonians 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. The command here is not for us to never weep or sorrow at the death of a loved one. I hope that, um, that when I die, and I fully suspect that my wife will outlive me, um, I mean, after all, God knows I need somebody to scratch my back. Um, if I die before she does, folks, at my funeral, if she's not crying, be sure and pinch her, okay? <laughs> I, I want her to miss me. After all, where would she find such a fabulous, loving husband and good-looking to boot, okay? Um, of course she's going to cry. I have no doubts about that. And I don't have to worry about it in my case, whether I'd cry at her funeral, because if she, if an airplane fell down and killed her or something, otherwise she's going to outlive me. If, if that happened, I, I'm surely going to cry. I know it. Um, now, that is the proper thing, but we're not supposed to cry like the unsaved do. You ever watched unsaved people at a funeral? It is absolutely hopeless. When I listen to their wailing and so forth, I am completely um, dismayed by, by their uh, constant. You know, I have seen them in Paraguay where uh, some husband dies and the wife is throwing herself in the casket and, and won't let go, won't let them bury him. Um, folks, that's not biblical, okay? But it is biblical to weep at the loss of someone that you love. Amen? Amen. A proper burial was considered a blessing in the Bible. Hebrews 11.22. Hebrews 11.22. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Now, do you notice a couple of things there? First of all, he wanted his bones taken back to Israel to be buried. But I noticed something else there. Joseph was a high public official, prime minister in Egypt. If he had followed the Egyptian way of burial, he would have said, take my cadaver. But instead he says, take my bones. He fully expected that his body would not be preserved that it was going to be reduced down to bones. He was going to spend the next 400 years waiting 
for the children of Israel to do this. So let's take a look back. Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 and 25. Genesis 50, 24. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. You're going to carry my bones back to Israel. This was faith, Paul says in Hebrews 11.22. This was faith. He wanted his bones to be returned. Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. Exodus 13, 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Lastly, Joshua 24. Joshua 24, verse 32. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for an hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. Yes, to the contrary, an improper burial was considered a curse. I could give you many verses on it. I'll just ask you if you're taking notes to write down Chronicle, 2 Chronicles 21, 16 to 20, and Job 27, 13 to 15. 2 Chronicles 21, 16 to 20, and Job 27, 13 to 15. Both of these passages talk about an improper burial as being a curse. Could I mention that when Jezebel was cursed, she was told that her body would not be buried and it was thrown down from her balcony and died and the dogs ate it. That was a curse. Therefore, can cremation ever be a proper burial? The answer is never. Now let me tell you the reasons that I'm given by people that want to be cremated. Cremation is cheaper than a funeral and burial. Well, I care how much it costs Elaine to bury me. Okay. Um, quite frankly, that's not your problem. And if you're young enough and you think that could be a problem, then take out a million dollars after Biden gets done with the economy. It'll cost a million dollars to get buried. Go ahead and take out a loan today or 
take out an insurance policy for a million dollars and then you'll have money to get buried with, okay? Cremation is cheaper than a burial? No, that's not a good reason. How much money did they spend on burying the Lord? That four times they bought spices at a price of a year's salary each time to, to put on the body of our Lord? They'll also say to me something like this. If a person dies in a fire, God can still raise him from the dead, right? Cremation does not prevent God from raising the body from the dead. No, they're right. Cremation doesn't stop God from raising the body from the dead. It's just a bad testimony. Thirdly, there is no specific command in the Bible such as thou shalt not cremate. They're also right about that. There's no specific command. But there are commands about burying. So you could say those commands which are in the positive, like honor thy father and mother, they, I'll have kids say to me, well, I didn't dishonor them. You can't take the negative from the positive. If God tells you to bury a body, that is not cremating it. Fourthly, if the body is not eternal, then why bury it? Well, the body is eternal. But it's going to return to the dust of the earth first. And then God will raise it again. So, do you realize that God actually commanded even criminals, even murderers, to be buried properly. It's in the Bible. So let me turn your attention to it. Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 to 23. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree. Uh, do you know anybody who was put to death and hung on a tree? Yes. Not only our Lord, but the two criminals that were nailed to crosses beside him. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, and that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Did you ever wonder where... You know, we had the custom that as night was approaching and the next day was going to be the Passover. So as not to defile the Passover, the Jewish leaders asked Pilate to order the breaking of their legs so that they would die more quickly. So that they wouldn't defile the Passover. They were 
quoting from Deuteronomy 21, which laid the groundwork for even burying a criminal. They were not to be left hanging on the cross. And by the way, you can read that in John chapter 19, verses 31 to 36. So, what about cremation? No. It actually contradicts the order that God gave that the body should be buried. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 3 to 5. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. God says, you're not going to bury the dead the way they did in Egypt. Embalming. You're not going to do it as the Canaanites did, which was burning the body. Cremation. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Chabad, which are the Hasidic Jews on their website. They have cremation as a transgression of biblical law to bury our dead. Cremation demonstrates a rejection of God's supreme ownership over all the creation. Cremation violates our legal responsibility to return what was loaned to us, our bodies, in as wholesome a state as possible. Cremation constitutes a rejection of the Jewish belief uh, in Salem Elohim, created in God's image. Cremation constitutes a rejection of the Jewish belief in the resurrection of the dead. Now, these are unsaved Jews who have read their Bibles and said, we're not going to do this. It violates, they say, the biblical prohibition of following heathen practices. It upends the soul's natural separation. It, des it deviates from Jewish history and our forefathers and contemporaries' selfless and heroic efforts to properly bury our dead. And it declares in effect that once the soul has departed the body, the lifeless body has no further value. Even unsaved Jewish people do not practice these heathen practices. The common practices 
of the Canaanites were commanded to be avoided. The heathen practices of the Egyptians were commanded to be avoided. And doing otherwise was considered a curse. Folks, I've made it abundantly clear to all of you, and I will again right now. When I die, I do not want to be embalmed. I do not want to have all I can think of is the Spanish for it, um, an autopsy on my body, leave my body alone. Um, unless it's absolutely necessary by law, I don't want that. I do not want any embalming fluid. I do not want to be cremated. I want to be buried as quickly as possible afterward. Now, I have told Elaine, since she asks me, Michael, what happens if you die in Chiapas or Honduras or in Paraguay? Because part of a proper burial is I want to be buried close to my believing relatives. Okay, I purposely bought two plots together as close as the cemetery would sell them to David's plot because I want to be buried as close as I can to him and to my wife Elaine. So if I die somewhere far away, and if the government says that they will not allow my body to be transported unless I am embalmed, then go ahead and do it to satisfy the government. But if it's otherwise, I don't want to be embalmed. I want to fulfill the biblical model of what it means because even in my death, I want people to know of my faith in the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you would use your word very deeply in each and every one of our hearts and lives. Challenge us afresh today to love you enough to care that even dead we might speak of our faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.